Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where we look at the week's financial news. That can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course. We hope to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. A special shout-out to all of my listeners who were rooting on the Kansas City Chiefs, the official NFL team of the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. Congratulations on your win. And I am sorry for those 49ers fans out there. We're glad you're listening. We want you to stay on this podcast. We hope this gives you a little levity, a little light after a difficult game. Great show for you. We're going to look at Mr. Peter Malouk. I just bought his book for this very podcast, his book Money Simplified, but he gave us some historic return data that bears listening to. We're also going to look at a Wall Street Journal article, Stocks are at Records, but are they expensive? These models have an answer. Wouldn't that be nice just to have a model to give us answers? And then in closing, we have a headline, Can Dividend Investing Rise from the Dead? Huh. I used to be obsessed with dividend investing. Perhaps I can give a brief testimonial on my conversion experience. Saul to Paul, it was not. Gradual, it was. Let's start off at the top. Mr. Peter Malouk. This is off of Twitter, and I wound up buying the book. I love the graph graphic so much. It's, he says this. He he runs a, gosh, what is it? He runs Creative Planning, which is a, gosh, I'm going to say RIA. I'm going to say it's a, a financial advisory shop. But he says, why not invest in the S&P 500? Why not? And I, I'll, let, I'll let that question stand a bit, listen, listener. I've been hearing this a lot lately, which is why I want you, the listener, to, to kind of lean in here. I'm sure your family's circled around the speakers right now, you've turned the Robin Hood Financial Market Equity. Lean in. Have the young ones lean in. Why not just invest in the S&P 500? You guys know the S&P 500, the 500 companies representative of the American economy. It's done so well lately. Why would you do anything else? Ah, let us see. Mr. Malouk looked at 10-year index returns from January of 2001 to December of 2010. I'll say that again. These are returns... From January of 2001 to December of 2010. Wouldn't you know it? From 2001 to 2010, large cap U.S. stocks, that's the S&P 500, they earned exactly 0%. (sighs) Gasp. For my younger listeners, you may not have lived in this investing epoch, and that would make this a difficult truth to receive. For my more seasoned listeners, you, you remember this all too well all too well so zero percent returns for about a decade now what did other asset classes do in that time and this is where i usually get tuned out but let's push forward did you know that of the mid-cap u.s stocks small cap u.s stocks international stocks emerging markets real estate and bonds the best asset class from January 2001 to December 2010 was, drumroll please, emerging markets by a lot. Emerging markets returned 437%. The next closest was real estate at 228%. And uh-oh, uh-oh, you're not going to like this one. Bonds were third place at 175%. International stocks were at 134%. Small cap U.S., 78%. Mid cap U.S., 64%. Large cap U.S., zero. Zero. 
Now here is what should hit us between the eyes. I have sensed in my own heart as well, listener, no preacher is in greater need of his own sermon than, than yours truly, but I have sensed a reliance, a almost religious belief in U.S. stocks. It can be helpful to look back at data like this and say, okay, if the next 10 years were to be a repeat of the January 2001 to December 2010, could I handle it? Because the truth is, if you can stick with your investing, you're, you're probably okay. If you've got like an 80-year time frame, 90-year time frame, I'm actually okay with people just doing the S&P, S&P 500. I'm okay with it. So was John Bogle. So was Warren Buffett, by the way. But most humans cannot handle the swing. In fact, I would say most people who have financial advisors are especially toast here because your advisor is going to get real nervous, real, real, real nervous if he did put you in or in an S&P 500 index like that. That's, he's going to start sweating your four or five and rotate you. All of a sudden, you're chasing performance. And then emerging markets, I'd say right now, feel like the least loved asset class. But look at what they did. They were the best. All this data to say things move in cycles and have some humility. Bonds. Oof. I, I, you know, historically, you can't get anyone to touch a bond. It was the third best asset class. It beat international stocks. It beat small cap U.S., it beat mid-cap U.S. It crushed large-cap U.S. Can you imagine bonds? I mean, that's what it was. That's what happened. So, you know how I, what I always say. Keep your costs low, investing simple, time horizon long. But what's that little addendum, my dad? Every slogan has its limits. Keep your assets diversified. Because as human beings, we just, we aren't, we aren't without emotion we feel things. It's going to hurt to feel like you're this far behind. So what do you do? I recommend having someone look at what you're doing, evaluate your situation. Every situation is different, but you're probably a candidate for bonds. You're probably a candidate for international stocks. That's usually where I see the, the holes. I don't care if people have a quote-unquote real estate allocation because a lot of people are homeowners. I also think it's a little bit redundant, but you can. If you want to take modern portfolio theory to its limits, you can do that. Everybody's going to be different. Up next, stocks are at records, but are they expensive? These models have an answer. This is by Mr. Hardika Singh, one of our favorites. Subheadline, what investors can learn from five popular valuation models. Now, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go through each valuation model and kind of give you the answer. But I'm going to camp out on a couple that I think are going to be easier to understand. But let's step back just a bit. Big picture. Right now, the article begins, stocks are setting repeated highs, reigniting a perennial debate among investors about whether they are too expensive. The article goes on. The S&P 500 has climbed 5.4% to start 2024 and closed above 5,000, which I never care about that, for the first time Friday. It's 10th year record of the year. So this is particularly perilous for the investor in cash, kind of waiting, because what you might be waiting for is the right buy-in, the right time. And oftentimes you're looking at a dashboard of valuations. Well, this article, I think, does a great job. If any of you go in the show notes, this would be a good one for you to peruse. Mr. Singh goes through and looks at the manner in which people evaluate whether stocks are expensive or they're cheap. 
Now for the efficient market theorist in the room, <clears throat> I'm one of them, I can just confess, I pay this no mind. I paid absolutely no mind. I do think it's actually important, though, that we know these this, these figures because this is what's going to be coming at you. As an investor, you are going to be tempted to try to create buy and sell signals off of this. I've certainly tried before. Off of this data, and it didn't work. It just didn't work. I remember buying a book. Um, I Oh, goodness, I'm forgetting the author. But the title was, Yes, You Can Time the Market. I remember being so relieved, and I read the whole book. I think it was Malcolm Forbes who wrote it in concert with Ben Stein. I don't know. You can Google it. But I, I remember finding that on the bookshelf thinking, oh, fantastic. I've always, this has always been a hole in my investing. I, I never knew when to tie. I mean, this is great. And what did it do? It it talked about price-to-earnings ratios. That's what That was the first thing Mr. Singh talks about. And now after reading the book, what you realize is if you actually followed that theory, there would be 20-plus years you'd have to stay in cash. 20 plus years. Impossible. Impossible. So the price to earnings ratio was the first one. And this is the one that people talk about. You don't have to know this necessarily, but it's good for you to at least know what other people are doing so that you can be steeled against the assault on your low cost index fund portfolio and not listen to it one bit. So price to earnings is a way for you, the investor, to measure how much you're pain per dollar of earnings. Okay? So when you look at the S&P 500, it's all these companies smacked together and they have earnings. They have earnings. And you are paying a multiple on those earnings. So that is going to fluctuate wildly. Um, the trailing earnings, the S&P 500's multiple is 24.18. That's above its 10-year average of 20.36. Meaning it's going to cost 20 bucks to get a dollar of earnings. The index is forward multiple at 20.38 recently. Rose above 20 for the first time in two years. Its long-term average is 17.96. You see what's happening? Hmm? All of a sudden, we're entering a world of timing we don't intend to because, well, we're trading above the historic price we paid for earnings. And people will use this data to get out of the market, get in the market. But it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So... People use something called price-to-book ratio. They use equity risk premium. They use price-to-earnings growth ratio. They use a CAPE ratio. Now, this is this is a gentleman named, named Robert Schiller. I'll actually look at this just for entertainment. But this is a way that smooths out some of the volatility in, in, in the data, what can be really dangerous investors. When we look at one of these metrics and valuations, we're, we're kind of looking at a snapshot in time, not perhaps per appreciating historic data in its full context. So with all these measurements, the question to ask that I have to ask of myself and that you have to ask yourself is, well, is this actionable? Can I, as an investor, look at the price-to-earnings ratio, look at how expensive earnings are, look at the price-to-book, look at what I'm paying for assets, look at the equity risk premium, look at the price-to-earnings growth ratio, look at the CAPE ratio, which is a cyclically adjusted price-to-earnings ratio. Can I do that, and is it actionable? The answer is no. The answer is no. And I go back to my my testimonial of finding that book, Yes, You Can Time the Market. Again, I believe it was Ben Stein and maybe Malcolm Forbes. I'm forgetting exactly. But in that book, I remember once I got into the real meat of the book, which is the back half of it, the application portion came. And it showed me historic data for the price-to-earnings ratio. 
remember the price to earnings ratio. It's how much are we paying per dollar of earnings? And there were there were periods where I, as an investor, had to wait twenty years for the data to go to come back inside the so-called green zone where I could buy again. But there's no guarantee as an investor you'll come back. We don't live that long. All man is like grass. All his glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's the word of the Lord that remains forever, not you, not me. So if you want to have a, if you really want to have a, a financial plan that can persevere through a 20-year period of just hanging in cash, I doubt it. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness after fleeing Egypt and seeing the burning bush. I bet that felt like a long time. I'm not sure you or I could handle 20 years in cash. I don't think so. So be, ha, have a little humility here and say, you know what? I'm going to invest. I'm just going to invest. I'm, I'm going to plow in. I'm not going to be someone who's going to seek to jump in and out based on these various figures. I can be aware of them. I can look at them in the face. I can I can be steeled against perhaps the salesman's pitch that has a product that's only going to come in at the right time. Nah. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just stick to those low-cost, simple index funds, dollar-cost average if you're scared. Scared to go all in at once? Just do whatever it takes to get in. Whatever it takes. And in closing, headline, Can Dividend Investing Rise from the Dead? The once blockbuster strategy of picking big players has been battered by growth-focused tech titans. This is by John Sindrew. This article is a great follow-on from this, from this previous article. So dividend investing used to be the coolest thing in the world to me. I just thought, why in the world... If you had a choice, would you not just choose all the ones that pay dividends? Now, let's, as a way of review, what is a dividend? It is a cash, typically a cash, payment made by a company to you as a shareholder. So if you own Coca-Cola stock, it pays a dividend every three months. That dividend is a cash portion to you, portion of cash to you, the investor. In America, it's typically a fixed dollar amount. In, in Europe, it's floating, a percentage of earnings, but it gets paid out to you. Now, why was I so enamored with it? Well, I had some, there were some smart people that did a lot of back-tested data. Um, and there was a gentleman who I liked named Jeremy Siegel who had partnered with a group called Wisdom Tree, which is a specialist in dividend investing. I thought, well, this is great. You, It's a margin of safety because you just invest in these companies that pay dividends and that, that'll keep you away from a lot of fraud because a lot of the fraud stuff, frothy stuff, they're just kind of puffing smoke. Dividend disciplines, a management team, make sure they don't invest in stupid stuff, whatever. Well, let me tell you, didn't quite work like that. This article goes on to say, hey, U.S. stock data from economist Robert Schiller, who I like, shows that the contribution of dividends to total returns averaged 80% from 1870 to 1950s. I'm going to read that again. The contribution of dividends to the total return, meaning what portion of the returns I'm getting as an investor are from dividends? That's 80%. That's almost all of it, from 1870 to 1950. Aha. Be careful with your back-tested data. With the rest made up, capital gains. The past decade, it was 30%. The average dividend yield has been stuck below 2% for most of the past 25 years, compared with a historical average of 4.3%. My real problem with this dividend-focused investing is you are making a much bigger bet on value stocks than you appreciate. So what is a dividend index? Well, it's going to cobble together, but you know, here comes J.P. Morgan, ExxonMobil, Verizon, AT&T, banks, utilities. Healthcare, it, it's it's kind of hey, old line, simple businesses, died in the wool businesses, but you are going to miss out if if the market does what it's done recently where, is NVIDIA in there? Eh. 
Like a lot of these high growth companies aren't included in these dividend payers indices and they're all different. You really risk having to bail on a strategy because there might be a 20 year period where you lag considerably. None of us can stomach that sort of lag. This is, goes back to the previous article. So this article saying, hey, dividend investing has been terrible. Yeah, it has been. It has been terrible. Um, so, and, and there, there are a whole host of layers of strategy you can put on this. This article talks about a low volatility strategy that people like. Um, this, this quote cracked me up. We have a group of very sophisticated investors who want an allocation to something that is lower volatility. It says Peter Fisher, portfolio manager of Vanguard Dividend Growth Fund. I appreciate that. So be it. Don't do it. If, if you're really scared of volatility, I, I would question, I would question your total portfolio construction. Do not be tempted. And right now you're not because interest rates are high. So in your money market fund at, at Vanguard, you make 5.3%. So you're not necessarily enamored with a 3% dividend yield. But don't be tempted. If rates go back down, these sorts of dividend funds are going to come back in vogue. Avoid them. Keep it simple. Don't feel like you have to chase it. So what do you do to make sure you're going to win this investment game? You got to keep those costs low. You got to keep that investing. So we got to keep that time horizon long because that's what's going to give you the best shot on your investing journey. 